Happy Sabbath. And I'm surprised you don't have any special music here today because the Douglas family is here. They usually have special music for everybody. <laughs> Not today, huh? Unless you have something in your back pocket that you can pull out real quick. <laughs> it's up to you. I give you the opportunity. Yes or no? Okay. All right. <laughs> Thought I'd try. <laughs> Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here today. Uh, We thank you for the privilege to come to worship you today. We would have with us as we hear this message today. And we know, Jesus, that this message will be a message of the future. And we need to prepare ourselves now so that when that does come in the future, we already have been prepared and that our defenses, our spiritual defenses, can be built up. Uh, Guide us now through this message today, and I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, The title for today is The Ultimate Deception. Now, I know it's a beautiful day today, and I'm going to try to make it as short as possible. We might even be able to get out of here in 50. How's that sound? That'll close the church at about 1130. (laughs) But it's not a real long sermon today, but it's a good one. I'll do some reading from, uh, I I think I talked about this a couple years ago, or a year back, before I started another series on the Big Four. I was in the process of giving the message of going into the book of Revelation, and I shared this book with you, Countdown to the Showdown by Dwight Nelson. Uh, And I've been sharing some sermons from here. It's like seven chapters, but it talks about some of the deceptions that take place in the end days, uh, some of the things that uh, we need to prepare for, and how we as a church can see things happening, but at the same time, we need to prepare for them. And uh, we covered a lot of the book of Revelation. We talked about... uh, the unholy trinity, uh, it was one of the messages about how the unholy trinity will come into being before the last days come and how that will be effective uh, for the world, but not for those who are true to God and to his truth and to his church. Unless, of course, we allow the uh, devil to deceive us. That was just one of the messages, but there are numerous ones. And I figured, well, I haven't finished the book yet. There's two sermons left in the book, so uh, that's my focus. <laughs> And uh, this is uh, the ultimate deception. Uh, Are you hot or are you cold? Well, I'm not asking necessarily your physical body, but I'm asking you spiritually. Are you spiritually hot or are you spiritually cold? Or, as you found the scriptures today, are you lukewarm? And if you are lukewarm, what makes us lukewarm? What makes us hot and what makes us cold spiritually? I'm not ashamed to exclaim that I am lukewarm. As a leader of the church, I should be hot for the Lord, right? But unfortunately, that's not the case. A lot of us are going through the lukewarm phase because it is foretold in prophecy. And I think a lot of us, show of hands, can experience that. Why aren't we doing more for the Lord? How come we're not experiencing what we need to experience with the Lord? Because we're in that phase of lukewarmness. We're comfortable. We're comfortable here. We don't want to get too excited. We don't want to get too far from God. We just want to kind of stay in the middle. It's kind of lukewarm, you know, nice and comfortable. But what does God say? He spew me out of his mouth, right? He doesn't want us to be lukewarm. He'd rather have us cold or he'd rather have us hot. And at the end times, we definitely need to be hot if we want to go through the end times with God. But as time progresses, we can look at our spiritual lives and we can ask ourselves, am I hot? Am I getting hotter? Or am I cold or am I getting colder? 
you know, my relationship with God? Or am I still maintaining lukewarmness? But today's message is not on necessarily the Laodicean church, even though it's the, the, kind of the focus. Uh, the Bible tells me that I'm lukewarm, and I accept that because it's God's word, right? All of us are in that phase. We need to accept God's word saying that we are lukewarm. We're in the last day church. But I do have a story to share with you today. I want to read from this book, Countdown to the Showdown, by Dwight K. Nelson. And this is something from INN. How many have heard of INN before? Well, if you put something into it, it's called International News Network. It's kind of a made-up thing. Just kind of something that may take place in the future. There will be an international news network that everybody will have access to. So that's kind of what we're going to look at, an INN news work or international news network. And uh, we're looking into the future. Just imagine with me today that one day in the future, you were browsing the international network news, and all of a sudden, an urgent message flashes across your screen. You can't ignore it or delete it, but you are forced to hear and see the greatest news of the century. The greatest news of the world ever. What is it, you say? Bear with me now as I read this news flash of the future. I picture internationally known newscasters are there. There are they that are there with high-tech hardware. Their satellite trucks are parked bumper to bumper all over the boulevard and sidewalks, right up to the foot of the Capitol stairs. Technicians are practically falling over each other in their efforts to quickly secure their electronic cables and uplink signals. Giant television cameras are all around. Their on-air red lights are flashing, begin to zoom in with their unblinking glass eyes upon the most spectacular display of demonic deception ever witnessed on the earth. For there he is, perhaps hovering a few feet off of the ground even, a being of dazzling brightness and shimmering glory, a mysterious guest from the unseen world, who, with the light of the blazing sun, today appears in the capital of the world's last superpower, the United States of America. INN and every one other news network is covering this stupendous moment live. One by one, the senators and the representatives arrive in their tailored suits. They line up down the marbled capital black regal attire. The court justices are there. Why is it that is Washington's power elite were congregated for yet another State of the Union address by the President of the United States? But in fact, what they will hear today is a State of the Planet address by the being atop the stairway. Also lying the Capitol steps are the most well-known and popular religious leaders of the nation. You know, all those we hear on the radios, all those on the TVs, all those popular people who made this happen, who've been proclaiming this for years. They have become familiar nationwide thanks to the many years of appearing on the TV screens and over the radio waves. Eloquent, charismatic, acclaimed leaders, they too have received their summons to rendezvous with a moment in eternity. Crowds choke Pennsylvania Avenue and are sprawled across the Capitol Mall. Thousands have coverage 
upon the nation's capital to witness this unprecedented moment of history. Everyone craning for a glimpse of promised glory. Then a black limousine pulls up, escorted by a motorcycle arcade or a motorcycle uh, motorcade of police cars and motorcycles. And the door swings open. And, of course, the President of the United States comes out, a popular take-charge leader himself. There is a timidity and hesitancy noticeable on his face or her face as the cameras of the world record the steps toward the being atop the stairs. As thousands of video cams pan the scene and point up the stairway, the light becomes so intense that the cameras keep bleeding to total white on their monitors. Their F-stops close down. I don't know what that is, but anyways. The majestic being smiles at the approaching president, and thanks to CNN and INN and many other newscasters, the whole world gazes upon this breathtaking moment. And all of a sudden, this being speaks, Welcome, my son, my daughter. I have waited for all of you. I have come for you. I know you. Welcome to all my children on the planet. The being needs no cue to turn and gaze fully into the on-air cameras pointed at him. Welcome, my father sends you his peace and his love. I come from my father and your father. I promised I would come and I am here. You prayed I would come. Your prayers are answered. And now at last I am here. My peace I leave with you. And my peace I give to everybody. What appear to be a nail-scarred hands as he lifts up his hands and waves at the crowd. As this on cue, the legislators, the president, the press, the masses choking the boulevards, all bow down to worship the returned Christ. Christ has come. Amen. He's here, finally. Like a mighty roar, the cry ascends to heaven. Listen how the great controversy says this. As a crowning act in the great drama of deception, Satan himself will personate Christ. The verses we know in a moment ago are proof enough. The church has long professed to look to the Savior's advent as a consummation of her hopes. Now the great deceiver will make it appear that Christ has come. In different parts of the earth, Satan will manifest himself among men as a majestic being of dazzling brightness, resembling the description of the Son of God given by John in the book of Revelation. Let's turn to the book of Revelation chapter 1 and look at this. And this could be something that would appear. Revelation chapter 1. Starting in verse 12. Revelation 1 verse 12. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like. There's a key word there. Not is, but 
like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. Can you imagine that? On the Capitol stairs, a being appearing just like you see here in the book of Revelation. The glory that surrounds him is unsurpassed by anything that mortal eyes have yet beheld. The shout of triumph rings out upon the air. Christ has come. Christ has come. The people prostrate themselves in adoration before him while he lifts up his hands and pronounces a blessing upon them. As Christ blessed his disciples when he was upon the earth, his voice is soft and subdued, yet full of melody. In gentle, compassionate tones, he presents some of the same gracious heavenly truths which the Savior uttered. He heals the diseases of the people, and then, in his assumed character of Christ, he claims to have changed the Sabbath to Sunday and commands all to hallow the day which he has blessed. He declares that those who persist in keeping holy the seventh day are blaspheming his name by refusing to listen to his angels sent to them with light and truth. This is the strong, almost overmastering delusion. That's from the Great Controversy, page 624. They worshiped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? And who can fight against it? There are two powers in Revelation 13, if you remember. And you can be utterly certain that at the basilica of the other power, the impersonating Christ will also appear. In fact, the entire planet will be hailing Lucifer as Lord. His dream at last will have finally come. But it is short-lived. Amen? But if you go to Revelation chapter 13, it's talking about those other things. And I talked about earlier the unholy trinity. Well, the unholy trinity, this being will be a part of that unholy trinity but it will appear as it is the true trinity. Revelation 13 goes into some of those things. We won't have time to go into Revelation 13 today, but in the past sermons I have presented on this subject, we have gone into those uh, quite a bit. But going on in the book here, there's a big test coming upon all of us. And we know that How many have gone to school before? I hope everybody raises their hand. (laughs) We're talking actual school, whether it's private or public or Christian school or whatever. Everybody's gone to school. We still have people out there going to school, right? And those are going to school now in the colleges even, or even the grade school kids. You know, the teachers prepare you to go through a process, right, of learning. And they give you little tests or little quizzes along the way, don't they? Kind of test your knowledge here and there. 
But if you say, well, I know all that stuff. I'll pass the big test, no problem. I don't have to do it. You pass up the quiz, you do terrible on the quiz. You never study your lesson. You know, well, I know all this stuff. I'm listening to the teacher all the time. I, I know these things. No problem. Then all of a sudden, the big test comes. Here you go. Boom. Do it. You look at it. Wow. I didn't learn anything. I don't know these answers. Oh, I know that one. Oh, that one's true and false. That one's easy. How about some of those other questions that they may ask in the big test? All the different type of problems they may give you mathematically. And you're looking, I don't know this one. And you failed the big test, right? But the point is, we have to understand the small tests first and pass the small tests before we can get to the big test. That's the same spiritually. As spiritually, we need to pass these short, small spiritual tests that we have now as God's grace and mercy are covering us, right? In order for the big test to come. Because we not, may not have the inner strength to do that when the big test has come if we're not preparing now for that time. But how would you feel if you had had the concept of not standing up at the majority when that time comes? Um, up against a large global majority. And quietly declare, I do not believe that he is the Savior. This being of dazzling brightness that has so caught everybody's attention. Imagine this being summoning you as an individual. Come here, my son, my daughter. Come, come, come to me. You don't believe in me? Oh, Thomas of little faith, come here. Touch my wounds and feel my scars. And blessed are those who seeing at last believe. But as for those who refuse to believe me, it would have been better that they had not been born. It would be better to tie a millstone around their necks and to have them drown in the depths of the sea than not to believe in me. You see, Lucifer will selectively, as he did in the wilderness, quote the scriptures, and as even Jesus himself would have, all for a nefarious purpose of deceiving at last the whole world and Christendom to boot. And then the last desperate test Choice will confront us all. Shall I believe my senses? What I'm seeing, what I'm hearing, what I'm feeling, how he's healed me? Should I believe these senses? Or should we believe God's word and the scriptures? Great Controversy, page 625. Only those who have been diligent students of the scriptures and who have received the love of the truth will be shielded from the powerful delusion that takes the world captive. By the Bible testimony, these will detect the deceiver in his disguise. To all the testing, time will come. By the sifting of temptation, the genuine Christian will be revealed. Are the people of God so firmly established upon his word that they would not yield to the evidence of their senses? Would they, in such a crisis, cling to the Bible and the Bible only? You think about how sensual, how sense-starved we have become these past late time in history. If the music doesn't have enough sensual appeal, we are dismayed. If worship isn't dramatic and entertaining and captivating enough, we feel let down. For we are the generation born and bred on the high-tech video problem of Hollywood and Madison Avenue. We have become so saturated by the sensual that we, like lambs led to the slaughter, are duped by our senses more than we care to confess. 
assaulted day and night by billboards, magazines, television, videos, stereos, etc., etc. The list is interminable. What will happen to such a generation when the overpowering delusion in the end is the ultimate sensory experience, a mesmerizing monopoly of sight, sound, hearing, smell, and touch that makes even the thought of denying such evidence seem insane? How will we stand then if we are not standing now? The last great delusion is soon to open before us. So closely will the counterfeit resemble the true that it will be impossible Impossible, she says, to distinguish between them except by the Holy Scriptures. None but those who have fortified the mind and their hearts with the truths of the Bible will stand through the last great conflict. None, N-O-N-E, she says, unless we have our minds and our hearts fortified spiritually in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds, the Word of God. The heroes and heroines of the apocalypse have been and will continue to be those willing to die for what has so saturated their lives that were they threatened with its loss, they would rather die. Hence the record, they did not cling to life even in the face of death. Revelation 12:11. Apocalypse rings with that glorious truth, but there are too many today who simply using the gospel as a front for a Casper Milliquest kind of Christianity that in standing for nothing is falling for everything. What about those who are inside and outside our parishes, who outwardly at least seem consumed with living for this moment and this moment alone? No preparation goes on in their lives for the future. No careful, prayerful, deeply personal kind of preparation takes place beyond the rote forms of religion. So it's an experience with God that we need to have. We need to be faithful in him and make him truly Lord of our lives and not just being saved for our sins. And we need to come out of lukewarmness and get hot for God. And the Holy Spirit, when that time comes, if we are preparing now, If we're not preparing now and helping others prepare now, more than likely we're getting colder and colder because we should be hot for the Lord now. We should be doing things for him now, not waiting for that moment in the future in which, oh, now we have to. It takes time to turn from sin, and it takes time to develop a Christian life. So time is now granted to us, God says. You know, he gives us time now. And when we die, that time is up. But if we live to the end times, we need to continue to prepare up to that point, to the end times. In the time of trouble, will you stand with the real Jesus or the false one? What will keep us from being deceived by the devil and his minions? Since we're near Revelation 13, let's take a look at Revelation 13.10 is one suggestion. Revelation 13.10, He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with a sword must be killed with a sword. Here is the patience and faith of the saints. Revelation 14, verse 12. We were looking at this in our Sabbath school today. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Revelation 19, 10.
and I fell at his feet to worship him. This is John referring to an angel that came to give him a message. And he said unto me, See thou, do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that of the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is a spirit of prophecy. And then one more scripture. Revelation 22, 6 through 17. And he said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true, and the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. Then saith he unto me, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant and thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book. Worship God. And he saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He that is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according to his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. For without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Isaiah 8.20 says, To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is what? No light in them. How about 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4? It says, The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own what? Lust shall they heap unto themselves teachers, having what? Itching ears, right? And they shall turn away their ears from the, the truth and be turned onto fables. The Great Controversy, page 595. Satan is constantly endeavored to attract attention to the man in place of God. He leads people to look to bishops, to pastors, to professors of theology as their guides, instead of searching the scriptures to learn their duty for themselves. Then by controlling the mind of these leaders, he can influence the multitudes according to his will. Jesus says in Matthew 24, 23 to 26, Then... If any man say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that, if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before, wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. The solution to the ultimate deception then is to have a personal relationship with Jesus and to understand and know God's truth and then stand firm in that truth no matter what the consequences are. Amen? Amen.
Heavenly Father, we come to you thanking you for the message of the Bible. We thank you for the opportunity to once again reflect on the importance of the end times and knowing that the coming of Christ is at hand. But we also need to be aware of the importance of not being deceived by the great deceiver. Help us each, Jesus, continue to grow closer to thee. Help us come out of lukewarmness into the position you want us to be in, and that is hot. Help us to be faithfully hot for you. Help us to know and understand and follow you with all of our hearts and our minds that we may be disciplined to serve you and your people around the world in the future. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.